Welcome to the Ready Runback. I'm your host, Jeff Marone, and I have an awesome interview for you guys today with UMass Dartmouth assistant football coach and recruiting coordinator, Coach Ryan McCormick. And I'm happy to bring to you an RI Sports Focus podcast. We will deep dive into our college, high school, and athletic programs across our great state of Rhode Island. Here we go. Welcome to the Roadie Runback, episode 14, and I have an awesome interview for you guys today with UMass Dartmouth assistant football coach and recruiting coordinator, Coach Ryan McCormick. A lot of fun talking to Coach about his playing career, his story of how he got into Salve and played there, and his decision to get into coaching. Um, a lot of awesome interview. We're talking about Ryan, very personable. The intro doesn't come in until eight minutes because Ryan and I were talking about Wesley football. We're both Wesley guys. Telling me his story of how he ended up playing for three Hall of Fame coaches um, at Wesley. So that's that's really crazy. So it was really interesting to hear that story. So I definitely couldn't not pass up on recording that. So the intro doesn't really come in until eight minutes in of uh, the episode. But this is a great episode overall. A lot of fun talking to Ryan. Uh, super personal guy. Love talking to him. Glad he's a Wesley guy. Glad he's doing great great things out there at UMass Dartmouth. They're very lucky to have him as a coach. Just a lot of fun talking about recruiting. I learned so much about football. It's crazy. I had no idea half the stuff that went into things and things that he's doing. He's doing great things out there and he's continuing to do great things for UMass Dartmouth and can't wait to see what they have in store if they have a season later on this year. But a lot of fun talking to Coach McCormick. Um, but before we get into that interview, you guys can watch all our interviews on YouTube and search The Roadie Runback. Or if you are driving, working, working out, or just want to listen to the episode, stay tuned here and listen to the episode. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Here is Coach McCormick. Freshman and um, the back, back, and it would bring up a handful of freshmen at the back in your freshman year because freshmen would end front games earlier, like in October. Yeah, a handful, maybe five or six or seven freshmen up from freshman for varsity. Um, and what's fun because I actually got to play a little pickoff as a freshman, varsity, which is you know, guys got dinged up and they had some guys go down, and so I got a little bit of taste of it. Um, and he was a great coach. We won the Class C State title that year over Narragansett. Yeah. He retires um, from coaching and went to administration. Um, very good coach. Uh, I mean, I, I was lucky. I played for three highly intelligent coaches. Tucker Terranova, Coach Terranova took over. Um, and in the meantime, him being the coach, what happened was we were always like, we were back then, Rhode Island high school football, there was no playoffs like there are now. Mm-hmm. It was like the top two teams in your division to win the state title game. If you were the three seed, like there was no playoff system, you would basically be out. Oh, so really? we were we were the three seed my sophomore year and just missed the state title game by one game uh-huh. at one point. Yeah. And then the next year what happened was Wesley was looking for a new AD and they, they begged him to be the AD. So he became the AD, but after that year they made him not coach football anymore because yeah. he had to, he was juggling so many hats. So Coach Terranova stepped down as the head coach after my junior year. Um, and his sons, all three of his boys, one was a senior and the freshman, and the other two are older. Terranova boys, they were a stud running back all of them. They were all unbelievable running backs, what's the history? So he, he, he's a football guy. I mean, he's three unbelievable football boys. And the next coach came was Coach Reed. And Coach Terranova is more of a hardcore, like, we're going to outwork everybody, we're going to lift more weight than anybody we're just going to be grinders and it 
was a good angle for what he brought to the table because it worked. And then Coach Reed came in and he was much more of a, not that he wasn't into that, but he was much more of a teacher. Yeah. So he was like, listen, if you do this block on the set, that defense can't stop this offensive play and vice versa. So, and so they, all three of the guys brought different unique techniques that worked. So I got, I had the ability as a player to learn from three different guys that are all in the Rhode coaching hall of fame in four years. Which yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's, that's, most people would say to me like, Oh, that you must've been really disruptive having three different head coaches. But the funny thing was they were all really close friends. Yeah. So even though when Morano retired from coaching, he would pop in periodically. He would never like undercut Coach Terranova. He would always like at Lib always vocally support Coach Terranova and his now being the head coach. So it was like it was like this brotherhood of coaches that all support each other behind the scenes. And that's why this program was very successful back then. Still successful. Yeah. Um, and then Coach Reed was there forever. I mean, he was there for God twenty seven years. Yeah, he was there when I was when I was there because I went I went to Westley. So um, and then. Um, and then they brought in Coach um, Miranda, who was from Connecticut. Yeah. And he was pretty successful. Um, and now it's Coach Store, which he's a, he lives in Wexley, played yeah. at Rhodey, um, teaches in France, a really good guy. You know, um, a little bit different style, but has a lot of experience. As a college, he played college football at Rhodey, very yeah. good player at Rhodey. Um, good guy. Yeah. So been lucky they've had good coaches there over the years really good coaches yeah i actually coach store was on the on the podcast earlier uh, a couple of weeks good ago yeah, really good guy really cool to talk to and talk to him about everything that episode's actually coming out monday <laughs> yeah he wesley's been blessed to have really good people get that job yeah it's been a good i mean other places are not as lucky people you know all the people don't realize down there that like obviously it's a great place to live great place to go to school um, as a high school kid, a lot of tradition, beautiful building, really cool setup for a stadium. They always fill it. Um, and that's – they always produce good players. So I've always recruited out of Wesley. I mean, I never forget where I came from. We've had Wesley kids everywhere I've coached my whole career. Yeah. So, that's um, really – Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. When I, when I played college football at South Regina, um, Timmy Cohen, Liam's dad, we – I was one of the first Wesley guys there – and while I was there, Coach Cohen always really asked players, like, if you had to bring one or two kids from your area, you came in your own high school or neighboring high schools, who would you bring in? Mm. The first guy I said was like Luke Arnold. And like Luke could run like a deer. And he was a couple of years behind me. I said, we got to get this kid. He can really run. Yeah. And so we brought Luke Arnold. And he became an academic All-American at Salvings, a dude for us. That was one kid. Dave Bulldog from Stonington we brought in. Dave was a great player for us. Uh, Billy Nicholas, a big tight end for Stonington. Um, we had one kid from the region, from North Stonington originally, Pat Eldridge, who played at St. Bernard's. He was a couple years older than me. Um, and then that's kind of that's kind of the ball got rolling. Greg Morano came to play at Salve. Um, his career was marred by a lot of injuries after his first year, but he, when he was healthy, he was really good. Yeah. Um, he had to battle through a lot of injuries, his shoulders and stuff, which it stinks because, you know, before he started having some of those injuries, he was very good. We've yeah. done a good path to be a starter, and then injuries kind of hampered his career, unfortunately. Oh. You know, we had a we had a bunch of you know a lot of Wesley kids, Salve, you know, Southern New England kids in that area, ECC and in, in Wesley. So it was a nice, nice run. I can tell you that. Then when I became a coach of Salve years ago, um, I brought in um, let's see his last name, see his face now, 
Um, there was a lineman from Wesley that played offensive line, graduated 02, 03. Um, but, you know, we had him, um, but we always recruit Wesley kids, you know, over the years. And we've had him here at UMass, so it's been nice. And, uh, you know, we grabbed a bunch of them. That's cool. That's what, really year cool. what year did you graduate from Wesley? What year were you there? I graduated 06. 06? Yeah. I'm trying to think who would have been there. Um, trying to who, you guys, who was, who was your running backs then, back then? Do you remember? Uh, I think Kyle Smith was one of them. Mm-hmm. And then I don't can't remember who the other one. He recruited a kid, um, and he actually his mom was crushed for my dad, Brian Lynch. He's a veterinarian, Wesley. Brian Big fullback. This sounds really familiar. He um he owns Wesley Wesley Animal Hospital. Oh, so he, he went on a roadie, but he decided not to play football. Yeah. He's a very good student, really smart kid, big kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he um and two backs, he could have played at that level. He could have played at any level, I thought. But he was yeah. really put together. But he was also a great student, and so obviously it proved being a veterinarian now. But he went to roadie, and I think we were even to vet school after, but he's he's actually my dog's vet. No, <laughs> so that's, always, awesome. that's crazy. Yeah. Small world. Yeah. It's so uh, funny because he always talks about the times when I recruited him, yeah. and I said, well, well, I wish you were kid to salve it because he would really help us win even more games. And, yeah. Well, I went to roadie and, went and met my wife and decided to get married and be vet. So, <laughs> <laughs> we talk football all the time when I bring my dog down there, so. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Like, it's a good place. Wesley's a good place. People that are from there sometimes will complain about it. And I'm like, well, you've been anywhere else? Because I've been recruiting yeah. all over the world. I'm going to play right now. You're in a good place. Yeah, I know. I've, I've lived in a few places, and it's like it's tough. You can't beat being no. so close to the beach and, like, you know, just a, the community around here. Yeah, it's, it's a good place. Yeah. You know. Um, all right. So I just – Want to, I've been recording like this, but I still want to do the... On today's podcast, I welcome on a very special guest. He is uh, UMass Dartmouth's assistant co- football coach, Coach Ryan McCormick. How are you, Coach, today? Good. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How is uh, how are you doing during these uh, corona times? Um, <clears throat> just recruiting, looking at kids, breaking down a film, networking, trying to build the next class here and Keep the kids on the roster sane because they're they're not going to bid to play, um, obviously. So you know we're just kind of sailing the ship and find the next class of kids and trying to figure out the key kids we want and you know we've offered a couple and see how that plays out. So <clears throat> it's business as usual. Me, it's just kind of navigating the, the landmine, so to speak. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's t- it's tough with this whole situation that's going on. I can't imagine what it's like to be. Uh, a recruiter in, in your situation, in your position. Yeah, it's, it's definitely unique. <laughs> it's definitely unique. <laughs> coach, before we uh, talk about your career at uh, UMass Dartmouth and your coach career, I want to know, when did you start playing football? Like, how did you get into it? And if there was a position that you really wanted to play? Um, when I was a kid, so my mom, my mom's family is the Bavaro family. Mm-hmm. So I, didn't, I, I moved to Wesley when I was going into my third grade year. My parents were originally from Massachusetts. And so we we had bought the house in Wesley in 84. Um, and they renovated it at the time. And so when I was a little kid, my cousin Mark and my cousin David played at Notre Dame and Syracuse. Oh, wow. They played in the NFL there. So it's <laughs> on my mom's side of my family. So it's funny because I don't I never got either one of their height, but I got their size. So, <laughs> um, so when I was a little kid, I was playing soccer and I was very aggressive and 
slide tackling people. My parents were like, listen, you're going to get red card every game. Like, you're not playing soccer. So <laughs> that's kind of how it went. So then um, transition to football, you know, my whole family has been in football. Um, so <clears throat> literally that's kind of how it went. And so I started playing youth and I was okay. I wasn't like a great player. I was an average player in youth and completely green to it, you know, and I didn't really start to like get a lot better till I got high school started really lifting mm-hmm. because, you know, I wasn't overly tall or overly fast. So really lifting weight was a big piece of the puzzle to get me better and better and better. I kind of really peaked in college. So um, after I graduated Westerly, I actually didn't go right to Salvador. I went to C-Strive for a year. Did you really? Because I kind of I messed around my grades. Um, and I wasn't a horrible student, but I wasn't a great student because I was just being lazy. I was being a you know, high school male that was just having fun and doing my thing and playing ball. And, you know, I mean, I didn't fail classes, but I didn't get A's and B's left and right. Yeah. But I had the ability to do that. So remember at the time I was uh, going to see Sarai full-time, working wow. full-time, and at the old Seaton factory, you know, laugh because I'm not there anymore. So, I, know, I know where it is, though. I know, you know where it is, on Airport Road. Yeah, and yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, you'd go and you work early mornings and weird hours, and, you know, I'm like, this sucks. So at the time, you know, I had to get my grades up. So the only guy that recruited me was Timmy Cohen from Salve. Yeah. His son now coached with the LA Rams. And Coach Cohen was like, hey, you know, you got to get your grades up. We really want you here. And he was recruiting three Wesley kids from my class. And I was the only one that had going at the end. Um, so I went to CCRI first semester and got a 4-0. Wow. And so after that semester, I went to the missions. And, you know, I never got a 4-0 my entire life. So <laughs> I took four regular freshman level classes. I'm like, all right, I'm all set. So I called Coach Cohen and said, hey, I, I got a 4-0. He's like, well, bring your transcripts by admissions, and you should be good to go. And so I go to admissions, and they're like, yeah, we think it's a flash in the pan. You need to go back to CSRI. Wow. Yeah. So, so I'm like, okay. Um, so I go to CSRI, go back to CSRI second semester, get another 4-0, go to admissions. Again, they say to me, nope, you need to do more school to come here. But I was very, I was like really angry. So I went to Coach Cohen's office. Yeah. And I said, hey, what do you, what do you think about this? And he's like, well, you had a really low SAT score. And I said, well, Coach Cohen, the day I took the SAT, it was like connected dots. I just wanted to get out of there because we're playing work at noon <laughs> and I didn't want to miss the bus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We laughed. He's like, well, that's probably not a good game plan. I'm like, no, at the time it probably wasn't. But, you know, um, again, it was about football. So, um, so you know, at that point, he had 28 credits and straight 4 0. And he said, he looked at the class I took and he said, Go back to admission and say, what do you need to take in summer courses, first session, to get admitted? Like, what do you, like, so you know exactly what to take. So I go to admissions and I said, listen, what do I need to take? And she's like, well, you need to take a math class. I, I had gotten all C's in math in high school. And my, my math SAT was really poor. But it was the second part of the SAT that I rushed through. because I, didn't, I barely just filled in dots. I just wanted to get out of there. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was the problem. So I didn't take it seriously at all. So. Yeah. So it reflected because it was a horrible math score with math grades. So I looked at my major, I was, I was taking at the time, and 
I only was required to take one math course my career there anyways. And so, wait a minute, my whole career going forward, if I get in here, I'd have to take one math class the next three years, and you're going to base my success here on one class? Yeah. And, and so I said, that's kind of foolish. And I said, well, that's our rule. So, so she's like, you need to take this math class and something else. I think it was like forensic science. And you need to get good grades in there for us to admit you. So then I pulled up, get a transfer agreement with CHRI. Mm-hmm. Get 30 or more credits. Over a 3 they had to admit me in the salve at one. Wow. But then I looked at their scholarship structure. And it said, if you had a 3-8 or better with 30 or more credits, they could give you a presidential scholarship for four years as long as you got a 3-0 or better. So and the presidential scholarship was pretty much covered all the academic fees, not room board. Yeah, yeah. So I looked at that and said, oh, really? So I went back. I said, I scheduled a meeting with admissions. I said, you, I said, this is what was my leverage. My dad's been in the business world forever and said, listen, go in there and this should be your, your conversation. Go in there and tell head of the mission that you're going to get another 4-0 and they're going to pay you. You're going to take four years on their dime at Salve and yeah. you're going to play four years of football. Well, they can take you now three. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I actually went to C-Shard first time in session, got a 4-0 and they paid me that presidential scholarship every year for four years. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was a crazy story because people were like, we didn't just go somewhere else. I'm like, nope. I'm nope. Like, you're going to tell me, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, now I'm going to really, Every semester I was there, I, I got over a three at Hume. I made sure when I got my, because she, she had said, oh, he'll never survive here because my high school transcripts. And I walked out of there, Magna Cum Laude, being an academic all-conference player. And I'm like, listen, every semester I sent her a copy of my, trans, my, my, my grades yeah. to that admissions counselor. <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> but did yeah. she respond back to you? Or? <laughs> I'll get to, I'll get to that story in a minute. So, <laughs> so, so when I so I played there for four years, Coach Cohen. Yeah. And um, had a great career there. I had way more success in college and high school, which is wild. But I kind of grew up. You know, I was like at that point, I was like lifting like crazy. Um, I was studying my my rear off. I was really locked into. Literally, my world was school and football. Like I was, my my attitude was like, listen, I'm gonna do this at the umpteenth level of, of execution and focus. And literally at that point, I already had my fun with parties and stuff. So like when I got to college, like yeah, that wasn't something that like wowed me. You know, some kids get to college and the party and they get sucked into that stuff. I was like, no, no, no. If it was if it was a weekday and it wasn't going, it wasn't going to help me in school or football related. I wasn't doing it. Those other kids were just like, oh, they go to a Thursday night party. I'm like, nope, I'm going to the gym. Yeah. It was a, you know, if I had a big test Friday, I would be studying from nine o'clock at night to midnight at 1 a.m. Wow. I was, I was on a mission to like literally prove people wrong. So when I was a first year player there, I was like 215. My last year was 247, fetching 420 pounds. Holy crap. That's crazy. Yeah. That was literally like, messing with my diet you name it and, you know people had said rumors like oh he must be using steroids or something but no i was literally mega all in if you saw my lifestyle what people were like you're crazy <laughs> yeah if you would be going out i'd just be studying and i'd be like i'm not i'm not getting anybody's in these classes like because at that point i had done my messing around when i was younger and i had learned from that because that one year at c i was brutal not because c i was brutal it was because 
that was the one year I couldn't play football. I was yeah. out of football for the first time since I was a little kid. I'm like, wait a minute, I can't play now. So, so that motivated me big time. Wow. So when I, in all the years I played for Salve, I was a key person to coach Cohen. Always when we had recruits up, he'd always ask me or only a handful of the kids to host them. He's like, I want you to figure out what these kids' deals are from a chemistry standpoint. Do these kids fit what we're looking for to win championships? Are these kids going to be locked in, you know, when it matters? You know, can they curb their other stuff, you know, Sunday through Friday night to be locked in to win, you know, championships in our conference? So if they can't, I need to know because I don't care how athletic they are. They're not going to be willing to be all in. They, They need to go somewhere else. That's not what we're about here. So. You know, and so literally he'd haul us in after these visits. He usually visit on Friday or Saturday nights. We'd meet with Coach Cole the next day after breakfast, and he said, hey, I want your analysis. And so we'd go over, like, pros and cons of kids. And outside of just the football stuff, all the back stuff, like, you know, yeah. what do they talk about, what do they bring up, what's their, are they passionate about football, are they passionate about school? They really want to be here. Yeah. And so that really mattered to him, but it made sense because, like, we had, you know, 90-something guys that literally – would have ran through a wall for him there and wouldn't do the wrong stuff. Yeah. We had this whole roster of mega driven people because he put them all together. And so he just knew how to pick and choose the right recruits. What he was doing really was grooming me to be a coach from a recruiting standpoint. I didn't even know at the time. Wow. So I was done with undergrad um, going into spring of my senior year. You know, I was done playing at that point because I have eligibility. He, um, he offered me the GA job to be his GA, his grad assistant. And our, at that point, I already was, like, helping him out work-study-wise in the football office with, like, database stuff and, like, just helping him set up visits for on-campus day visits with kids. You know, because I just wanted the program to be positive. At that point, I wasn't even checking off the job yet. He offered me the job and right away was teaching me everything. Wow. And then literally, like, the minute he hired me, I was still a student technically at that point. Was done playing. I was beginning a second semester, and from like mid January on, he taught me football. Like I've never. It was like we met multiple hours every day. It was like all in. And at the time, um, before I accepted the job, I I was had applied to law schools, did well in L stats, got into a bunch of law schools because I graduated, like I said, magna cum laude. Yeah. And my dad made it the best advice ever. He said, "Okay." Here's your options. You got grad school for free as a GA, and you got law school. He goes, grad school is going to be paid for 100% by football for free. He said, you can go to law school right now, but what if you hate it after a year and you have a year of law school loans with nothing to show for other than a year of law school? If you go to grad school for free, you can always go to law school after. Wow. Good advice. Yeah, that's you really good advice. That's that's like really smart on your dad. And you do something you love. So I said, good point. Makes sense. And he goes, and it's not going to cost you a dime. Yeah. He's like, do the, he's like, you can always go to law school, go, go to grad school for free and learn a lot. So that's what I did. And it's funny. So when I went to get my master's, I have basically two masters from Salvation. I have a master's of administration justice and a master's of international relations, a dual master's. So I did it over three years, but they paid me for over three years, which is awesome. That's right. And then what happened was, though, before that even started, Literally three months into me, me basically being hired as a GA, Coach Cohen left. So what happened was his son, Liam, was going to be a freshman at LaSalle, and Sal job had opened up. 
and he decided to dump and go coach the Salah, coach his son. Wow. And so at the time, our DC, Arthur Bell, became our head coach. He was elevated to be the head coach, and he retained me because he saw how hard I worked and said, listen, I want you on my staff. He's like, but if I retain you, I now want to teach you how to be a defensive coordinator on top of a recruiting coordinator. So my, after my third year there, when I was done with my master's, I got elevated to the defensive coordinator position. But he had groomed me for that those three years as a GA. Wow. So really, I got a lot of really tight-knit tutelage from two really high-end guys. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, and that's kind of how it rolled. So now, back to that admissions director, <laughs> that woman is not there anymore. She's been gone. So one thing I learned was I could figure out kids from recruiting, learning from Coach Cohen and Coach Bell, what to ask a kid, and my own experience with myself, questions to ask if a kid can make it or not at college. Like, the kid might be a little bit like borderline academic admit, but you find out, well, they don't have a two-parent family and some other things going on at home, that they're in the right environment away from home, they're yeah. successful. Or a kid might have a lower SAT because they rushed through it, but really do have good grades. So at the time, we were doing a really good job recruiting and we winning a lot of games. And I had a bunch of recruits I really liked, but they had lower SATs, but they had good grades. Yeah. And they're taking good courses. And I remember I had a, a meeting with admissions, and I was really fighting for this one kid. And <clears throat> this one kid was a really good player at the time at a high school out of Connecticut. And so I had said to the admissions counselors, I said, listen, this person can come in, get in here because I'm telling you, I, I know massive questions that he can be successful here. And so she basically was like, well, I don't, I don't agree. So what I had done was, because I'm very smart, I had a copy of my high school transcripts, but I took off my name what high school was. I had a copy of my college transcripts, took off the names they wouldn't know who it was. Yeah. And I said, I'm telling you right now, I know somebody that type of grade better can get it, can make it here if you ask the right questions. Not all of them, only certain ones. But I said, let me ask something. Um, I pass around the room copies of my high school transcripts. This person make it here. And she ranted, oh, this person wouldn't last one day here. They'd fail out of classes. They would be a mess. Da, da, da. And I passed around the college transcript. And I said, let me ask something. What would it take to get these type of transcripts? Oh, you'd have to be like third in your class. Da, da, da. I said, well, guess what? That's not accurate because the person that wrote those transcripts wrong you're looking at. <laughs> that's crazy what later. <clears throat> what's that that person quit as the admissions director a week later really yeah. oh my god that was i was not budging i said listen yeah you cannot tell me that's not you sit there and you got on your pedestal and told me that those things are not possible i'm living proof it is here yeah so <clears throat> um that's why i've been done such a good job here at umass now wind the clocks forward when I got hired here, our um, RAD is a former Salve coach, Amanda, and she had our head coach was looking for a new recruiting coordinator, assistant coach, and RAD had gone to our head coach and said, "Hey, I know a guy that's out there, and he's really good. Um, he was at Salve. You know, this is what he's done. You want him?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "I want to meet him." So that's how I got hired here at UMass. So it was my history from being at Salve where they brought me in and I said, listen, I just need control of recruiting. I will help you build this roster with machines. We just have to find the right kids. And so um, 
we've really climbed the ladder in the last seven years at UMass. We've gotten way better every year, better players, better students, better players. Um, I mean, our team VPA this year was a three through five last year. Wow. With 97 guys. Um, we graded a two-time academic All-American, one-time academic All-American. We had the conference player of the year in offense. Um, we had the number one defense in the conference, number one offense in the conference. We went seven and three, and we really should have gone undefeated. We lost a quarterback game six of the year. And he, at that point, he was ranked number two in the country. So going to rock. So, yeah. Statistically. So, we have built the roster very different than when I first got here. And it's not, it's not all me. I mean, yeah. all the coordinators, everybody's involved in recruiting. I'm just more like the main conduit of the game. Like, saying, okay, I'll go to the coordinators. Like, what are you looking for for body types on offense or defense or specials? Okay, we need to, you know, you're looking for this bike type. Here's where you can find him. Yeah. What are you looking for a person? Like, all that stuff. Like, what what does this ideal player look like that fits this one position? Whether they're offensive guard or center or quarterback. Or, you know, we, we're looking for certain types of kids body type-wise, certain types of kids mentally, certain types of kids physically, certain types of kids academically. And so that's how we start building the roster, the board, to find the right kids. Um, and so literally that's what we've done and over the last seven years now, we've turned a program that was average to being elite in a lot of very quickly, which is a fast turnaround. Um, and so it, it was brutal when this COVID hit, we got our fall season canceled because we were picked to win the conference. Wow. And we were picked to potentially place to get in the NFL at the quarterback position. So really? You know, wow. Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, our, our quarterback, Stephen Kaczyk was on draft diamonds. Um, and because we weren't having a season, and he was on time to graduate. He jumped and he left to do his last year at Rhodey. Rhodey asked, came to us and said, hey, you know, they, they came to our, our staff and said, hey, we're interested in his quarterback. And, then we know, basically he can't play his last year here because of the COVID stuff. The conference canceled the fall season. Yeah. Would you be objective to us talking to him? We're like, no, because obviously he's kind of in a weird situation. Their quarterback had, had left. The, the veto kid, so they were kind of looking for a cue, and they had a bunch of kids in the roster improving, and they knew what our kid could do. They said, "Listen, they saw him throwing too. At a, he was working out with some kids, and they'd seen him somewhere throwing, and they were very wild by his ability. So they brought him in. So he's there now this fall. That's crazy. So you know, we'll see. I mean, there's no guarantees he'll be the guy, but if you if Sam's going to bet the farm on it, I bet you will be. Yeah, yeah. Six three two seventeen. You go watch him on Twitter, his video, it's, it's impressive. Um, you know, so, I mean, you know, I mean, it's been weird this off season because normally he would have played his senior year and, and kind of gone on to whatever he does after. Yeah. But he's a, he's a 3.8 GPA engineering major. Wow. He's really incredible. smart. So we've had the luxury of having him for the last four years. So um, he's been, you know, one of the best players in the league four years straight. Yeah. You know, we found him at a little in Rhode Island. I mean, no one knew about him. Outside really? Of yeah, That's no crazy. one knew about him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so it's just interesting how that worked out. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. How do you, like, create, like, such a a niche? Like, how do you, like, you know, how to, like, evaluate players? Like, is it a keen eye? Like, what what does it take to just be such, like, a great recruiter? And The biggest, the biggest thing that made me better, actually, was when I started to go out. So three summers ago, you know, about four summers ago now, four summers ago, the D1 schools all started having these one-day prospect camps. When I was a kid, not that long ago, even, you know, 10 years ago or so, they used to have, like, week-long camps. And 
Division I schools, the FBS schools, the FCS schools realized that was not a really financially smart way to do business. It was better to have more kids up, a one-day thing, do all type of physical type of tests, do almost like a practice type situation, um, skill stuff to see what the kid can do, film it, and build their board. Now, they're only going to offer, for example, I did many of UConn's camps last summer and summer before in Syracuse, did a bunch, you know, did a bunch of schools, roadies. And so they're only going to, those schools are only going to offer a small niche of those kids, but they're all really good football players. Yeah. So, you know, I started to learn how big some of these kids could be out there. They're going like, you know, going to Michigan, going to Ohio, so like the top recruits. I got to see them at all these camps. They yeah. do the camp tour, I call it. Like they just want to be seen everywhere and get everybody's boards. And that's how their stock builds. So I get to see, you know, I've seen Trevor Lawrence in person person when you're younger coming out of high school i've seen all those guys like in person see a guy that big that like that young and then you come back to Rhode Island and see some of these kids that aren't quite that you're like you don't understand how big the ceiling is yeah yeah <laughs> you know like you get to see the landscape what's out there and you're like whoa so then it kind of changes how you recruit because you're like okay now i know what i'm looking for because i know if you're this body type unless you're lifting this weight and move this fast have this flexibility you cannot be offered at fbs it's yeah. never happening so it's interesting. There's guys out there that can lift a bench 375 that run maybe a 5240 on the offensive line, but they're 6'2, 280. That's too small for FBS, way too small. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it might even sometimes too small for FCS, depending on the offensive run. So, depending, you know, at tackle, you're probably not playing tackle at FCS because you're not long enough. Yeah. So, we have made a living snagging those borderline kids. I think they're Division One clear-cut guys. They don't realize their body type. Well, they might have the physical ability, but their body type isn't long enough or flexible enough to get those offers. They may not be far off. I'm not saying they can't flip there eventually, but the problem is right now, the here and now, they're not quite that yet. Mm-hmm. They're going to get passed on. A lot of Division Three coaches wouldn't take, go after that kid. They're like, yeah, he's going to go Division One. Yeah. Like, oh, he's not, and here's why. <laughs> yeah. So I did last summer, for example, with the most amount of camps I ever did, I did 62 days of camps last summer. Holy crap. Yeah. That's but <laughs> the value of that was this. I got to see the landscape. Yeah. I got to get to all their lists, and I got to figure it out. I would ask them, I said, listen, who are you offering so I can black them off my list so I don't waste my time, don't waste anyone else's time? Who are you definitely are? And they said, please don't tell anyone else. They wouldn't. I would yeah. keep it very close to the desk. I would, so I would know who they're definitely 1,000% offering. I said, okay, can you tell me the bubble kids? And I would watch from afar and let it play out. Watch kids drop down recruit boards from high-level schools. And the minute I could tell that they weren't getting that big-time FBS offer and maybe max a small FCS offer, I would swoop in and snag that kid. From now, because he's a high-level kid for DQ or D3. So, you know, we have a DN from Rhode Island that probably should have been an FCS kid, Sean Real. He's one of our captains. He's 6'5", 255, playing at the end. Wow. Um, you know, we had two transfers from Bryant, Connor Russ and Tony Slaughter. The reason they transferred was when Marty Fine um, left Bryant, it was like some uncertainty, like who's going to be the head coach, what scheme were they going to run, and were they still on the scholarships of kids in the roster? Yeah. A lot of, like, unknown. So those kids are far enough in, the, in their career where, like, eh, I don't want to go into my junior year and not have, like, scholarship money and playing time yeah they got in the field for brian 
um, Connor's head coach is a friend of mine, head coach from high school, a friend of mine, reached out to me and said, hey, Connor's trying to figure out if he's going to stay or leave. I said, well, I, if he's going to leave, he's putting in a release, putting it, you know, putting it into the portal. Yeah. And then with Tony, um, we knew Tony's head coach from high school had reached out to us because I heard the rumblings. Hey, got a question for you because I can't talk to Tony directly. Is he going to leave potentially? What's, what is it, 50 50, 50 40? And they said, well, he's probably going to put in his, his, his release next week. And said, can he please add us into the transfer portal? We can talk to him legally. So, yeah. And then we were able to talk to him because we talked to those new cats right away. Yeah. And so, you know, then got him up for a visit and they ended up coming to us. Well, they ended up being two of our best players because they were actually Division one players that played on the field for Division one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have a bunch of kids on a roster that are like that. We also have um, our safety, Burkhead, is an academic All American. He's a two-time academic All-American. He's never had anything but a 4-0 here. Wow. Um, and he's looking to go to law school. We have a law school here at UMass, UMass Law, right in UMass Dartmouth, which is the UMass Law School. So, you know, I said, listen, you can go here to law school, which is the third best law school in Mass, only behind Harvard and BU, ahead of BC. Yeah. For parts in the, parts in the bar rate, and it's going to cost you only 20-something grand a year without scholarships. Yeah. Once the scholarship that will drop that number down. So he was like, well, that's pretty advantageous. So he, that's why we got him as, a, as an undergrad, because we sold the fact that he's in the law school right here. Wow. So, um, you know, we have a couple of high-end majors that, that we utilize. You know, the law school thing is big, because if you're to law school, it's usually very expensive. So, you know, being the only state law school in the state of Mass, it's definitely a, a marketing tool. And yeah. A good one. Yeah, definitely. So, <clears throat> We also at UMass have a medical school. Though the the medical school campus is in Worcester, um, they have their own campus over in Worcester. Yeah. But UMass Medical, again, if you have a certain GPA, certain score, they'll let you in and give you, uh, you know, give you preference over a kid the same number from another school outside the UMass system. So that's very advantageous if you want to go to med school because it's very competitive to get into med school and you get a spot. So we have a couple of kids that are pre med on our roster, really smart kids. So. Um, that really goes a long way. Yeah. Bulldog. Yeah, I can hear him in the back. My dog is actually dog funny. You know, Wesley Bulldog. My dog is a Bulldog. So. <laughs> that is really funny. It's small world. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, literally, that's kind of our niche. You know, you're going to recruit based on both what you're looking for on the field, but also what your academic makeup is. Yeah. So, you know, we would have a lot of kids that look at us but they don't want to, they want to do phys ed. We don't have phys ed. Right? That's not a major reality mass. So um, I would, you know, I would steer them towards like Rhodey or Bridgewater State or Springfield. Those are in New England. Those are the three big phys ed schools. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, obviously if hard for them to be a division one pro player at Rhodey, because that's obviously another level of football. But if they were good enough, I'd reach out to their staff, say, get your eyes on this kid. He's interested in phys ed. And, and sometimes they they take them, sometimes they wouldn't, you know. But they they look at the kid and look at film, um, and vice versa. Like they, you know, if there's a kid that's really not a clear cut D one kid, they would. And so behind the scenes, what people don't realize in college football is a pretty tight network of guys. Yeah. You know, the week of game week, we go on radio silence to playing each other and kind of, you know, throw the haterade on each other. But then after that week, we're right back to normal, back to business as usual. You know, because yeah. at the end of the day. If we don't have a major kid wants, I'm not going to lie to the kid and say we have a major if it's not right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's just kind of how college football recruiting works, sales, really. That's, that's um, interesting. I, 
Yeah, I mean, we've had kids get here and not like the school for whatever reason. You know, they thought it was going to be different. And they, and they transfer and vice versa. Though we don't have a lot of people that transfer out. We have actually more people that transfer in. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, we were ranked uh, last year out of 5,004 institutions in the country, number 218. Wow. So, so really competitive. You know? Yeah, yeah, that is really competitive. We're the only non-flagship state university on the East Coast that's ranked as high as we are. We're in the same realm like Rhodey, UVM. Obviously, UMass Amherst, our flagship, UConn stores, UNH, UMaine, we're in the same academic category. So schools are ranked in three major categories. You've got national ranked, regionally ranked, and NR. NR means they're not ranked, which means they're not very good schools academically. And don't spend a dime going there because you're wasting your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they exist, and they have a place for everybody. Most schools will fall in that middle range of the regional ranking, which is not a bad thing. It means it's still good schools. But then their schools are in the NR, the, the national ranking, the top tier, where the tier one national rank. Um, and those are places like obviously all the Ivy League schools are in that category, all the Patriot League schools, BC, Stanford, places like that, Tulane, you know, University of Chicago, the net small Ivies and NASCAC are in that ranking. Obviously, most of the flagship institutions like Rhodey yeah. are in that like, category, right? <clears throat> and obviously, the high end privates like Holy Cross because the Patriot League. OPI is a national ranked school, a private school. We have schools in that, that, that natural rank category. And I tell people, like, that's a different deal academically. Like, when you're national rank, I mean, all your professors are usually published. Um, you've done something that's really big categorically. But like, you or I in, in marine biology had Bob Ballard, world renowned. Yeah. Things like that. You know, so, like, like we have a professor um, that wrote the field manual for the United States government for warfare in the Middle East. Wow. You can look them up. We had another um, professor just speak on all the coronavirus stuff. He's a biomedical science professor. So, you know, we have people like that, like doing stuff like that, you know. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so I mean, so we're, we're a unique anomaly because we're the only public Division three non-flagship institution that's academically ranked that high. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so we have a really cool niche. Um, yeah. So from recruiting, I mean, I can, I, it's not me just telling them, I can show them in U.S. News World Review yeah. where we're ranked. And they're like shocked at that. They said, start showing them comparison analysis of the schools. And I said, oh, by the way, we give proximity tuition all in New England, which basically is when I first got here, they asked me, what was the biggest thing with Sal they get kids? They said, well, back then they gave out a lot of money. And mm -hmm. I said, money is very important to parents in college. And so they said, well, we can't give out athletic scholarships just for athletes that's because of NCAA rules. What could we do? I said, well, <clears throat> you know, every kid wants to go to Rodeo Rick. They want other options. Every other option around is very expensive private school, really, yeah. other than Rick. So I said, Rhode is kind of a very hot bit of a lot of recruits are looking for somewhere to go and they can't afford Salvin, can't get into Brown, and they're not quite good enough to play year and year out Rodeo. So they got to go to so where's that their niche. So we brought in proximity tuition the first year of Rhode Island after my first season at UMass. And the first year we garnered 21 Rhode Island recruits. Wow. Half a, more than half a class of Rhode Island kids. Yeah. Two years later, we made proximity for Connecticut because Connecticut's got the second best public school system in the country academically, really good football, really good yeah. families. Literally, Connecticut is no farther than going to Springfield, Mass., in the state of Mass. Yeah. It kind of makes sense geographically. 
So <clears throat> we started that, and then now we have total right now we between Rhode Island, Connecticut, wine o'clock before we have 41 kids on our roster in those two states combined. Um, and then they extended it to the rest of New England because it just made sense. But it's only about four and four, four and change, four thousand change more than in-state, roughly. Um, so, which is great because it's not that much more. Yeah. Around to come to our place, we're 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 in roughly about a thousand dollar cost for rodeos in the state for Rhode Island kids, for Rhode Island kids at UMass. Wow. So it's comparable within reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, we give out pretty aggressive financial aid packages for our students. So the nice thing about that is that it becomes very affordable. When we get to the end of the line with a recruit, there were many times some, some of these private schools that give up partials, for example, there's some private in FCS that cost like 70 grand a year. And they might give a kid a $10,000 football scholarship, let's say, and then they give him like 30 grand, 20 grand in other money, but they still have to come up with almost 30 to go there. Wow. We're starting for a Rhode Island kid at 32, 33. We've gotten that kid down to like single digits or teens in out of pocket. Wow. Last time I checked, if you're paying nine grand to us or thirty something to somewhere else, yeah. where are you going? You know, yeah. so yeah, makes sense. You know, I, I tell the kids like I don't care if they call it a football scholarship, or whatever, but that partial scholarship, yeah, twenty grand cheaper, twenty grand cheaper a year helps you out big time. This too, yeah. no so, joke, so. You know, being a good academic school like we are, we we make a lot of headway in recruiting. So, yeah. so I just got, and we're in a good strategic area, like. We're 35 minutes from Providence, door to door. Yeah. You know, we're an hour from Boston. We're two hours from Hartford. Uh, we're three miles from Horse Neck Beach. Take a left side of the campus, take a left, go straight, you hit the beach. Yeah, yeah. First beach, you hit the, uh, heading into the Cape. Um, and then Dartmouth is kind of like Warwick, where you have Route 6 with a bunch of businesses. We're a self contained campus, like Rhodey is, but get off campus and we have like a ton of restaurants that Warwick does on Route 6. Yeah, we have this rural campus kind of tucked away, less than half a mile away is Route Six, the mall and and the movie theater. So we get the best of both worlds. You know, people want rural campuses. We're on 780 acres of land. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. Crazy. so it's it's kind of neat. So, yeah. um, those help. You know, with my recruiting because obviously, when I was looking to, to go to other schools, I was looking at, you know, I told people like, be careful where you go. Because certain places are hard sell. Yeah. I give the guys at UMaine a lot of credit. That's not an easy sell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you know, it's a, not an easy sell. So I know the guys are at Maine Maritime. Maine Maritime just shut down the program of the past team Maine because they were having a very hard time getting kids. Really? Maine, yeah. Last season, we don't play them, but they're in a different conference. They were in Salve's conference, the CCC. They, um, they ended the year last year, 50 kids in the roster, which is very low for college. Holy um, crap. Yeah, that's really yeah. strange. You know, we ended the year with almost like 90 some. So, yeah, that's a difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, literally, and they didn't win a game. Um, I think that they saw the writing on the wall that they weren't going to be able to build it. Because Mass Maritime's gotten a lot better as a school and as a football program there in our conference, they do the same type of academic niche being a maritime school. You have yeah. SUNY Maritime down in New York uh, over near Throbs Neck Bridge, which is a nice place. So there's other schools that do that niche that aren't way up in Maine hidden away. So, yeah. you know, so there's other options that are pretty comparable cost-wise. But I think that's what really kind of drove their football program off their, off their off having it because with COVID now here, they, they, they're financially strapped. So yeah. 
you know, it's, it's tough. I feel bad because the head coach is a good guy and he's a good friend of our head coach. So, yeah, I don't know what he's going to do, but it really stinks not having a program. He was there for, I think, almost 20 years. Wow. That's yeah. sad. It's a sad way to go out, too. Like the- yeah, and he, he was a very successful coach when he was in his earlier years there and other, other places before he got there. Yeah. Just, you know, the COVID thing kind of threw a real curveball in everybody's, you know, year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Did the- you know, I mean, for example, Rody, knowing what they brought in, over there, they brought in the best class in their league, other than James Madison, and which is impressive. Um, but it's a good sell because you know you need to be it's a pretty place, and so they kind of really quickly changed a lot of things. They've done well in a short span of time. Yeah, and I think they were on pace to have a really good year, and then this COVID thing hit and kind of like threw the, you know, the monkey wrench in that. Yeah, and then you know, um, I know it caused a couple of kids to leave their roster. And nothing they could have done to stop it because yeah. they didn't do anything wrong. It was just the COVID thing, getting kids trying to get on rosters, places they're playing. Yeah. Instead of late today, for example, the two very interesting things. One, they said if you jump mid-year in Division One and you're on a scholarship, you can't play right away. Really? So the people stop roster jumping. That's happening a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, second thing they did was they extended the dead period to January 1st for FPS and FCS. I think the reason they did that was to also not – you know, not tie people's hands, or they're trying to like make it uniform across the board. Yeah. So we'll see how that affects the school, but so it's interesting to say that. Yeah, it's been a, it's such a weird it's such a weird time. It's like really weird. I just feel bad for like kids who are like now in high school and stuff like that that are like trying to finish out their senior years, trying to play, you know, high school football, and they don't they have like around here and they don't know what's going on. Like, I mean, I I've talked to a lot of people at Westerly that they've been very upset because. You know, some of them even said to me, like, off the record, all we care about the Thanksgiving Day game. It's like, it's like the golden. Yeah, I know. You know? I was yeah. actually talking to my dad. I was like, I don't, I think that's like not the most important game for this game. Like, you know, it's important, but like, let's see. Like, I think some of them want to play the season before they, yeah. like, yeah. So I, I think, I think the biggest, I think that, you know, some want to play the season, but there's a lot of that game is such tradition. Yeah. One of the continuous games in the history of high school football. It's the oldest cross-state rivalry in all of high school football history. Yeah, yeah. So they're not played as like you know, they played during wars, they played during snowstorms, they play like they've never not played. They might have moved it by a day. Yeah. They've never not played it at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of like wild. Um, I know the guys over at Stonington, they're they're messaging me, hey, can you write a letter to our governor? We've had Stonington and watch the kids in Rochester all my years here. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I don't think Lamont's going to listen to me, but yeah. <laughs> might as well give uh, it a shot, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I think I'm alone in his total pool of importance, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think the guys at UConn are very happy when uh, Governor Janek wants to put a soccer team at Rensselaer Field for the off season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't been told this, but I, I can tell you this is probably not going over real well. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're not going to play football. We're going to put a soccer team in the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know it's, so it's, it makes it used, I think it's a Canadian soccer team or something. I don't know. Oh, really? I don't, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, it's in the media. That's going to not be flying well. No. Uh, yeah. It's tough, man. But it is what it is. Hopefully, we can all kind of get through it together and everything like that. Uh, we got one more question, and we'll just wrap it up because this has sure. been awesome. This has been. I mean, great. I got to have you back on again. And because like, I've, I'm learning so much just from listening to you tell me things and like, 
I actually watched your podcast with Coach Murph from Rhodey, so he was really good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a really cool guy. <laughs> yeah, it was that was a really good podcast. You know, he has a good history and knows a lot of good people in the industry. So yeah, he he was he's super personal and like it was like really cool. Like I feel like you guys have been really lucky because with all the coaches, I feel like you guys have been really quick to respond back to me about coming on the show and all that stuff. So it, it means a lot to me. So it's awesome to have you guys on the show. I think the biggest thing is people don't realize like they, they keep like. You know, see these guys in TV, even the FBS level, and they're they're regular people like me or you. They just yeah, they're just on TV. I mean, they're, you know, they're obviously very busy, but they're regular people. They just really get what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're just I, I I think I caught them at the right time with everything going on. It's like easy. I think it makes it a lot easier for people to get a hold of people and like have these conversations with them. And you know, yeah, not as not as busy. But all right, last question: Who's your favorite NFL team? I'm a Pats fan. So my grandfather, my mom's side, have season tickets when early '70s when they were really bad. Yeah. And we used to joke around and say, "There's better fights in the stands or on the field." <laughs> so um, and my grandfather had passed away before they won their first title. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so it's funny because in my family, you know, my family was both Pats and Giants fans. So my cousin yeah. played for the Giants in, uh, in the '80s and the early '90s, and so. My grandfather used to say the stories. He's like, listen, the Giants were like on national TV because back in the day, them and the Jets were the only teams, probably the Pats, the sixties. They were the only teams in the Northeast that you just really, you really watched. And then obviously the Pats came in the late, in the early sixties, and you know, gained notoriety. But they were kind of like the bridesmaid and the Giants for the bride to speak back in the day. So um, that's the two teams we'd root for. It's funny that they end up playing each other in two Super Bowls. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a Pats fan first, but, you know, having to get to watch my, my cousin Mark play for the Giants and win the Super Bowl for the Giants is pretty cool. That's really cool. He had some great stories for about Bill Parcells and, and Belichick because they were both, you know, Bill was the head coach, you know, Bill was the D.C. Yeah. Um, they were very smart guys, and he had good stories. And it was interesting. Just hearing those stories kind of make you kind of learn, like, oh, this worked, but this didn't work, and this is why this worked. It's good to learn about the stories, figure out why people did this the way they did, yeah. and how you can use some of that knowledge inadvertently in my own coaching career. So um, the first thing that he said was, even though Bill Parcells was very tough on the players, he always cared about them. Yeah. And Parcells said, I can't – remember him saying this to Mark, and Mark said this to me, that you can't be tough on players unless they, they know you care about them. So that's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful when you think about it. Yeah, that is. That really is. That's like yeah, a- another thing he said. He said that ourselves used to always preach is that you can't just motivate and you can't just discipline. You have to have balance in that combination. Yeah. And so that's true in, in life and business. Like you, if you're motivational, but you're not disciplined, you're all over the map. Yeah, yeah. Discipline, you're not motivational. You come across as a dictator and not, you know, empowering people. So if they're really disciplined, but motivated, that means they're, they're, they're really locked in, but then they produce, so it's really valuable. So I, like, really learned from that. It's funny because our head coach at Salve, Tim McKellen, was very much like ourselves. He was a huge bunch of trough. He was really smart. Yeah. He could do anything for you as long as you pull the line. Wow. Yeah. And uh, to this day, if I call Coach Cohen tomorrow about something, hey, I need a letter of recommendation, or hey, how do you defend this, or how do you attack this? He'd be like, oh, I'll send you – I'll draw it up for you. I'll send it to you. So – um, and now his son's coaching with the LA Rams. Uh, let me give you a, a, a funny story. So when I was playing at Salve, 
this is how I knew Liam Cohen would be a big time guy in football. Yeah. So when he was 11 years old, I remember when I was a freshman at Sally and I was, you know, defense met in one room for films, offense met in another. He used to get dropped off every day by his mom after school. He was like a, like a young middle school kid. And he would get, he would end up in the offensive room with a, with a notebook and he would be like a machine, like a college student. He would draw every little thing about like designing plays and going over stuff. Like he was like 21 years old. Holy crap. And most kids that age don't have the attention to detail. And he was like, like a machine. Kids that don't have kids in the offensive room. We were a good football team. So and he got better. And like, as games went on, when he got older, when I was playing there and he was getting older playing youth, he, um, he knew football. Yeah. Like in games, he'd see a coverage and be like, oh, you should run this play. Huh. And, you know, and obviously he was just saying that to himself on the sideline. But I remember being off the field of defense and offense is out there. We're done going over the board. We come over the sideline for either going to score or whatever, go back on an D eventually. And he'd be like saying something. He was spot on every single time. Yeah. Wow. Like, unbelievable. That's crazy. So then he went on to LaSalle and became an you know, all-state quarterback, Gatorade for the year. Then he went on to UMass Amherst. Was one of the best quarterbacks in UMass in American history, and then got into coaching and flew up the ladder. I mean, he literally was highly intelligent. Coached at Brown, coached at Rhodey, coached at UMaine. You know, coached a very short time in the Holy Cross, where he got basically snagged by the NFL. And had, had a very good three-year career already with the Rams, killing it. Yeah. Um, and so I guess he gets to work every day with Jared Goff, and they were pretty cool. Yeah, that's really um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> he. Uh, I knew then that down the line he's gonna if he put he kept that focus he'd be something special. Wow! And that, that, that sat with me for like all these years. I look back and go, that was when you knew, yeah, you know, that he had it. And so, but he got it from his dad. I mean, he was the only child, and his dad really taught him a lot about football. Yeah, that yeah. was just that was one of the best colleges college coaches. And I've met college coaches from Division One, FBS, FCS. Kind of sat in some of their meetings. He was one of the best ones out there, hands down. He would outcoach teams, Jeff, like I've never seen. It was like he'd have a curveball they weren't ready for every single time. You know, he could get players to play way above their ability. He could get players that were average and make them look amazing. He'd make he get players that were barely average and make them look above average. I mean, he just had that ability. Wow. You know, almost like Belichick can grab guys off rosters and like, oh, you're a cast off. Come over here and be an all dude. And it's just like he could do that. And some coaches have that ability. They have that ability to produce with yeah. nothing yeah. and find what the things you do well and just get that one thing you do well and make it mega effective and part of the whole. And so that's what his dad did very well, and that's what his son has done very well in his coaching career. Um, and where he's gone, he's been successful. I mean, year one the league, they went to the, NFL, they went to the Super Bowl. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, that. that's crazy. And, and everybody gives him flack because he lost the pass, but it was a tight game, the most game. Yeah, it was a tough game anyways. <laughs> Low-scoring game, a defensive battle. Yeah. And um, he said even – a few times I've talked to him since then, even said he really had an appreciation of how smart Belichick was coaching against him. He's like, it was like like violent chess. He's like, that guy is a genius. Like, he's always a mentally step ahead of everybody out there. That's crazy. And so that's experience. And so literally, you know, he's – Himself, I know, has gone around talking to different guys around the league and college and pro football everywhere to like learn more to be better, which is smart. So he one day I will guarantee you, Liam Cohen will be an OC in the National Football League, if not head coach. So 
Yeah, probably. Maybe sooner later, you'll see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we can always refer back to this, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, people say, well, how do you know he'd be that good? I said, I'll tell you a story when he's a little kid. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, if you, once you have kids and you realize that age, you go, yeah. What doing every day after school, it's crazy. That's why I know it's like I was like I could think I was like trying to think what I was doing at 11 years old I was like I think I was just like playing video games or like just outside like playing like pickup games with my friends and that I just sitting in an hour and 20 minute film meeting and chalkboard meeting and he's writing stuff down like he's in a master's class yeah I know (laughs) I'd be doodling I don't know (laughs) exactly and he wasn't he was like literally he knew our offense by the time he's 13 years old like a coach did in college. Oh my god, that's crazy! Yeah, so when you got to high school, it mentally must have been child's play. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like your dad becomes your coach, you're gonna run a similar offense you ran, you ran at Salve. And now you're gonna be the quarterback running the offense. You know, like the back of your hand. And you've seen college defenses. You're 11 years old, and now you're gonna see high school defenses. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been bananas. And games. He was like, "Oh, that's your coverage. Ah, I'm running this All offense. Right. Yeah, we got this. No problem. Yeah, just be yeah. able to pick them apart." <laughs> And he played like that in high school. He was like physically and mentally eons above her, but it wasn't even close. He Jeez. was a sophomore starting quarterback. Best quarterback in the state of the sophomore. That's crazy. He just got better and better. I mean, his senior, he just ran through people like they weren't even there. It was, it was insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why he had UMass uh, Amherst and arrived. So, and uh, he brought UMass Amherst to a FCF national title game. They lost by seven at the end. Close game. Wow. But he, he was the big piece of the puzzle that made them really good. Yeah. Um, and so literally, and then now he's in the NFL coaching. So it's neat because I, I have a bunch of friends now coaching up there it's, um, or or done um, internships up there. Willie Edwards, who's at Brown, he was the head coach of Moses Brown. He's a Rhode Island guy from West Warwick originally. He's doing a, um, an internship, a paid internship with the LA Rams right now. And he said that's really cool. Um, and that was, you know, a connection he made. Drew Liam, being another Rhode Island guy. Yeah. Osai, who's now the quarterback's coach with Browns. So they're kind of struggling a bit on offense right now after week one, but that's part of the league, you know, yeah. it's tough. Um, you know, I know some guys in the Pats. It's just so it's kinda it's it's really neat, you know, you meet some guys and you know, football is football, just much more hybrid when you get to that level. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Our one of our guys on our staff, Frank Sherman, his brother Mike Sherman used to be head coach of the Packers. That, yeah, that sounds familiar. I know that. Yeah, so Frank's, Frank's our um, facilities coordinator, athletics. He's also on our staff, football. And um, his, you know, his brother Mike was head coach of the Packers, associate coach of the Dolphins, coached at Texas A&M. He recruited Johnny Menzel. Wow. He left his last year to go back to the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of wild that, you know, and he has – he she showed us his offensive playbook from the, the Dolphins. It was wild to see the stuff they did to try to – Attack the Pats offensively. Really? <laughs> and he had good story. He has good stories. You know, that's that's really cool. <laughs> but it's just cool to learn from different guys like that. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. Meet them and just learn their knowledge and say, "Hey, how do you do this?" You know, it's that's the one thing about football at the collegiate and NFL level. It's all networking. Yeah. You, know, you, if you're willing to learn and you're willing to work, you can be taught anything. The key is you fit the chemistry of the staff and fit with what the deal is and. So there's a lot of guys that made it. I mean, our former student assistant is at Southern Miss. Our former student assistant, uh, you know, the recruiting coordinator at Merrimack. So we have guys all over the place now that work here that have gone to other places. That's so, great. 
cool. yeah, I, feel like, I feel like that's sort of like any sport. I feel like it's like all the connections that you make, like at those levels and like, but it's also, that's like cool that like you had mentioned earlier, I think, which I don't think a lot of people realize is you guys are like a fraternity almost. Like you were saying, like you talk to the roadie guys or you talk to like other coaches, like you guys like talk on like a, a consistent basis. It's like, I don't think a lot of people like realize that like you talk to like other teams and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Like, like literally I, I, there was a kid, um, I had referred to them a couple of years ago and they looked at it and said, Hey, thanks. Like, and they offered him, they got him. You want to start at the ends now. Otherwise, first, they've been kids that said, Hey, he's not a division one kid, but hey, you should really look at this kid. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, obviously, I'm very appreciative of that because, like, hey, you know, and that's just kind of how it goes. Like, you know, I just, I literally got off the phone with another coach from another team before I was talking to you in another college game. We were talking, shop, like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, you, what is your president saying? Because, like, all these presidents, you know, they're all appointed by the state, if they're state schools, the states. Yeah. You know, they're the of that, which comes down from the governor. And so, like, it's some, you know, political trickle down. And so the 54 million dollar question is like, where is this going to go and how far is this going to keep going? So, um, you know, because if we have another fall like this, and you know, it's going to really not help college football. So, no, no, definitely not. Um, so it's just it's just kind of wild times. So we're all talking about the rules and recruiting and because all the rules come from rules committee. So people vote on that stuff. So trying to get to the people that are on those committees and say, hey, what was your rationale for making this rule? Because you never know how it's going to go. I mean, trying to find out. Where, what was the reason you made this decision and why? Yeah, yeah. So I better understand, like, if we can get the rules to change, like, who do we need to talk to and, like, what do we need to present for data analysis to say, this is why we can do this or do that? Because if you just say we should change it, they're going to be like, okay, show me the data. Yeah. Show me the action on why. Um, so, you know, that's, they, that's how they came up with the early signing period a couple of years ago. They brought them, they used to, signing period used to be February, Division mm-hmm. one. And they brought in the early signing period in December because a lot of coaches had asked for it. They said, listen, like, they're already done with their first half of their senior year. Some kids want to do a dual thing where they graduate and do first semester college all at the same time. Yeah. Like an early enrollee. So uh, they, they said we need an early signing to do that. So that's when that came about, that December signing day, which is, I think, a good thing. You know, a lot of kids wanted to do that and start college spring semester of senior year. Yeah. Because in football, you only get four – actual playing seasons other than redshirt years. The thing about it, if you play fall, 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 you still have semesters of school you have to get number football. Yeah. But so they bring you in spring before your first season, you can still practice. You learn how to be a college student and you have more time to put classes on your schedule, to manipulate your schedule to make everything work and graduate on time. So yeah. That makes sense. So um and so that's why you know, kid, kids would try to do that. They can, the place they commit to. Yeah. And it gives them more time to develop as a student athlete. So, you know, get used to being in college, you know, at that point. A lot of kids, second after senior year, sometimes they have a senioritis, so they kind of get, you know, they're kind of like checked out, you know? So yeah, yeah. You really that. want to be checked out. You want to be kind of like, I'm your next thing. Yeah. You think like, those kids are checked out. They're, mentally, they're already where they're going to be, where they want to be. Yeah. So, might as well get them there. So, a bunch of kids when get they get FBS offers actually enroll spring semester senior year, and they use some of the courses to meet both their graduation requirements from high school to be graduated and also their college requirements to college. So yeah. a lot of FBS schools, big ones, do that. Michigan, Notre Dame, they'll do it. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, and so literally, you know, that's why they made up that rule because they had asked the college coaches, 
would be the value of doing this. Is that this is the value. So, yeah. um, but now with the dead period that lasts until January first, how is that going to work? How are you going to have an early signing date? You can't even talk to kids January first. Yeah. So, it's kind of crazy. So. It is crazy. It's 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 yeah. It's just so weird. I don't know. I just, it's just such a weird. Hopefully something. So Jeff, where where'd you go to school before we get off? Where where'd you go to undergrad? I went to Johnson Wales. Oh, okay. Ooh, nice. And then I went to uh, Southern New Hampshire. Um, yeah, I played a little volleyball at uh, Johnson Wales University. I actually went to CCRI before that too. I got CCRI is a great vehicle to get to where you need to go. It really it worked out for me great. Yeah, I was kind of in like that when I graduated. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just went to CCRI. Got like my general studies to kind of figure it out. Uh, went to JWU, got my bachelor's in sports management, and then Southern New Hampshire. I graduated with my master's. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. The Southern New Hampshire must be killing it now because oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> online and that's like everything right now. So like they're like ahead of the curve. So yeah, They've you know, before years ago, people were like negative with online because it was new. Now it's like really a big thing. It's really, it's become like before even before COVID, it was getting very big. Yeah. You know, there's people if they're adults, they want to be able to work in their career, then also do the masters. It's hard to drive from say wherever you're doing, you know, work. Yeah. You know, so it's easy to do it electronically and from you know, your home. Yeah, I had a full time full time job while I was getting my master's, so it, like worked out perfectly. Like it was yeah. like everything was due Sunday at midnight. I would like do all my homework and have it done hopefully by like Thursday or Friday night, and then have my weekend. Yeah. But still, if I was like busy at work, I could still do it on a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Now there's a bunch of Maroons that coach uh, Wesley. They, I know they did. Um, I don't know if they're still on staff or not. I don't know who else is on staff at the store. But I know there's um, a couple of Maroons and staff on the football staff. Yeah, they're they're all my cousins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good guys. Yeah. yeah. So I um, it was I think two or three Maroons on staff. If I remember correctly. Um, I think I know. So actually, it's funny because Jimmy Morano is um my nephew's grandfather. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So Jim, we, Jimmy, uh, so he's very close with Jimmy as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's really, he's a great guy too. Um, yeah. Just getting to know, know, know him over the years, and then um, I think that Coach Store did bring on a couple Maroons or a Hake or something like that, which is related. We're related somehow. Something yeah, like um, Ed's wife is a Maroon. Yep, she was a really good basketball player. Wesley, she went on to play roadie. She was a very good basketball player. Two. Good athlete. Yeah, uh, and then I I know I know Brian Maroon went to high school with me. He's the AD at. Stonington. Yep. Yep. Um, then I think it's his brother is a principal somewhere, um, or his cousin. So, oh, sports and education. Yeah, there's cool. like every, we're all in it. I mean, I was coaching basketball for about ten years. Oh wow. Yeah, I was at uh, Wheeler High School. Yeah. Yep. In Pro- yep. In uh, yeah. Uh, North Stonington over in North Stonington. Oh, Wheeler, North Stonington. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I was coaching there, for, coaching there for a while, and then um, you know, work kind of gets in the way, so. Just had a unfortunately with the hours. I might be able to get into some volunteer stuff this year with it. But I was also doing so um I was actually doing some pro some some pro basketball school training down in Dallas. Um nice. I was working with some guys. Actually Donald Driver was like my boss. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so it was cool to meet him. He was such a nice guy. And then uh Jason Jones, another guy that played for Green Bay Packers, um yeah. us too. He got into basketball and he was like a skills guy too. And then um, Brian Adams was this other guy that was a huge recruit back in like the early, the late nineties. He was like in the same draft class as like Kobe Bryant. 
um, and then so like worked with him. So it was cool. I met like it's kind of like the same thing. Like you know, make all these connections. I made all these connections on the basketball end, and just like working out with guys, and like might be flying out to Seattle to, to hang out with some other guys that played in the NBA, and like work, learn skill stuff from them as well too. Yeah, it's it's really cool. How you just like network and meet people. It's just it's really kind of eye opening. Yeah. Um, literally, you know, people ask me all the time. I'll have high school coaches that want to get into college, and they'll say to me, "Oh, you know." I was offered a volunteer job, let's say, I, I don't know, like Yale. I said, take it. And they're like, but it's volunteer. I'm like, yeah, that's not the point. Yeah. I always say to them, like, okay, would you spend $10 to make 100 grand? Well, of course. That's a, that's basically the deal. Like, yeah. You wouldn't invest here now to make get to the pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. It's really the deal. It's, you know, so, and sometimes people don't look at that way. They don't realize how hard it is to get into college athletics and then to stay up here and then, to, you know, build those relationships and be able to work it to find and find and meet people. So yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, you know, I think it's uh, you know, if you have an opportunity like that, take it. Don't don't you know, like oh, I got to work with them. Like, listen, you're gonna work your whole life. Like yeah, you know, I don't I don't ever have a day where I don't like my job. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're loving life. You're having a enjoying everything that you're doing and like yeah. You know, I have people complain to me all the time. Friends of mine from college or when I was growing up about the job, I'm like, you change your job. And you're like, well, it's not that easy. I'm like, it is. Like, yeah. You're, you're mi- I, I can hear in your voice, you're miserable. Like, Go you make yourself happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, that's a tough way to live your whole life. I mean, I tell people, like, listen, obviously within reason, like, do do your passion because it won't be work after a while. Yeah, exactly. Like, people would say to me all the time, like, oh, you really would get up at four in the morning, three in the morning, drive to Syracuse and work at camp? I'm like, Yes. And they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, I'm not. Because yeah. I get to go work with kids that are going to end up playing the NFL in three, four years or, you yeah. know, that's... And, and meet all these people and kind of, it's kind of neat. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's your love though. I mean, you're on the, you're in the field, you're like experiencing that, like being around all those kids and like meeting, making all these more connections, networking more than for yourself as well. Yeah. too. Yeah. And just building a roster off their list and look at their list with the kids and say, okay, if they fall on these bigger schools lists, will they fall down the recruit board? Let's watch and see how this plays out. So, yeah. you know, and, and I, I caution kids because I'm like, listen, even Division three, Division two athletes, those are elite athletes. I mean, we brought kids in here we were wrong on and got here over the years, and they got here and they were blown away at the level of ability. They thought they'd go, go on and play Division one. Yeah. They could play here at all, and they were shocked at, like, I mean, I don't know how many times – um, I've been pulled aside by parents incoming freshmen here, you know, our check-in day, and they see the upper class and walk through their seniors and juniors. You know, a lot of times it's moms like, hey, uh, coach, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, what's up? Well, this was Division Three. I'm like, it is. <laughs> These are the biggest people I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm like, what do you think FBS and NFL is like? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, so they don't realize that, like, yeah. Sometimes these kids end up being individual and caliber bodies, but it's three years, four years in. Yeah, yeah. It's just so, boomers or something like that. Like I tell them, I'm like, they lift the same weights they lift at Rhodey or BC. They're yeah. just not quite as talented yet. So, um, and so I guess parents figure that out after. But yeah, I mean, I've had parents come up to me like, these are grown men because like, they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's why. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, I, I think our I think our bench press record is like 500 pounds or top oh 
that's a lot of weight. So, yeah, that's a lot of weight. That part's gonna be bad. So, <laughs> you know, um, it's not, it's not, it's not some dump change. I mean, how many people you know walk on the earth but can do that? Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's a heavy, that's heavy weight. <laughs> a lot of weight. So, you know, I tell people like, listen, college football is college football. I always have a phrase. Not the 13th grade of high school football, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, a lot of kids can't play up there. They just, if they're undersized, they don't have the work ethic to transform to become a good football player. And they don't have the drive to knock out all the externals to like focus their time to become good enough to play up there. So, you know, um, a lot of commitment. You know, it's not, it's not like you can just like roll out a ball and play. It's not, not like that. So, yeah. Um, I mean, even really talented kids, if they don't work, their skills erode and they get surpassed by left handed kids that are willing to work to be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's very few college football players walking on the field and playing. Those days are gone. At every level now. Yeah. And literally gone. I mean, FBS and FCS, if you don't work out hard for year round, there's no way you're staying up there. Yeah. For every kid that makes it, there's 10 that, that, that get caught or get thrown off the roster, get pretty much. Don't make it. Spending from the program um, at all levels. I mean, again, up there, if you don't win, you're gone. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I remember when Paul Pasquale got fired from Syracuse. He was last year at Syracuse. I think he was like nine or whatever. And they're like, oh, you buy for the national title. They pushed him out. I knew that story. Sure. My cousin David played at Syracuse. Yeah. And I get to meet Paul years later coaching, and he's a really nice guy, and tells me that story. And, and when they pushed him out, it was a Bunch of dark years in Syracuse and bad football. I'm saying, yeah. hey, we're revolving to our coaches. And then they hired Coach Babers, who's there now, who's done a decent job, um, much better job than the guys after Paul. But it was probably a good 10, 12 years in rough football at Syracuse. It's it's like, it's like a decent football team, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, when Pascaloni was there, they, they produced Dwight Freeney, they produced Donovan McNabb, they produced some dudes. So um, and then when he was gone, they weren't producing a whole heck of a lot. I mean, the last big guy to make it from there was um, going to the end. Um, played for the Patches now in Arizona. Oh, yeah, Chandler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the last big Syracuse recruit that really, like, blew up and, like, got drafted and did well. Yeah. I think the last 10 years, they ain't been many. No. You know? So, and that's, that's a big deal. Like, people don't realize that, that. You know, um, you push out a good coach for, for the grass is greener. Yeah. It doesn't work out. Yeah, so, no, it doesn't work out always like that. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's eye opening to people. They don't realize that. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, a coach makes a world of a difference for a lot of things and help, like, you know, you know, not might not be buying for a championship every year, but like he's still bringing in those good recruits and developing those players and. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're still. I mean, people. Everybody knows Syracuse. They're not. They're not a bad program. And yeah. They're not. Not the level like Alabama is right now. But yeah, they're working to get up there. I mean, the facilities some of the top ten schools in the country are better than the NFL facilities, and they're really yeah. that nice. And they are. I mean, I've, I've seen and it's, people say to me, "Oh, oh, you know, why is so and so losing?" I said, "Because their phone budget in Michigan is four million dollars a year." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the phone budget, so. They're like, what? I'm like, you guys don't understand. It's a different world. So, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I was at Syracuse doing their camp, the coaches said they had a staff of of recruiting guys that weren't coaches. All they do was like look at analytics and look at film and grade out kids and wow. all that stuff. And they had a staff to secretaries and everything with 70 other people. Holy yeah. God. That's, That's crazy. crazy. 
Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. So, um, you know, and so what do you think like Alabama has? Or my, my buddy's a Southern Miss and said, we should see our staff. Our staff is up here. <laughs> that's crazy. Every, every position coach has an assistant position coach. There's the A's. Yeah. Control. They're recruiting guys. There's massive staff. Yeah, that's. Yeah. It's like a business operation at that level. It's, yeah, it's really, I was gonna say. Sounds like a sounds like a company at that point. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. not. It's not. It's definitely not what you think it would be. Yeah. You know, a lot of people see that and they're like, really? I'm like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. It's definitely a business. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, literally, they get rid of guys fast at that level if you don't produce. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, sounds like. And not just X's and O's and winning games. Like if you bring in the wrong recruit, they offered your area and. Ends up being a dud, and you put bring commandos over a year or two, you're out the door. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to bring in good players. I mean, but my job at the FBS level is really stressful. Yeah. Like the guy who was the recruiting coordinator at Southern Miss, um, who was actually cousins with our student assistant that went there to be a GA, he just got let go last week after week one. Holy crap! Yeah. yeah now, mind you, years ago he won a national title, Alabama, Nick Saban as an assistant. Yeah. Holy crap. Actually, went two. Two national titles of Saban ends up at Southern Miss. Three years later, he's terminated after week one. That's crazy. I think about like his success record on his resume is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. So I was just saying. Like, hey, we didn't win game one on national TV. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah, wow. That's and wild. They go nine, whatever the rest of the year. And like, really? That's how, yeah. that's how aggressive it is. And they made the head coach step down, too. They elevated one of the coordinators, the head coach, interim head coach. Pushed out the director of recruiting and they pushed out the head coach after week one. Wow, that's wild. Aggressive, tell you. Really aggressive. <laughs> it's like that's like being a, a manager of a restaurant. More of the weekend, and it rains on they, they blame you for the lack of sales. Yeah, they get fired before the season starts. Really, like really? Yeah, it's, that's so, nuts. That's like the equivalency of it. It's kind of like that's a little, little aggressive. Yeah, that's really aggressive. <laughs> I didn't know it was like that cutthroat. <laughs> oh yeah, when they, when they cut guys in the NFL. They make people bring their playbooks, their hard copy playbooks in their office and give to the guy taking their job. Wow. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty ruthless. It's pretty ruthless. When you walk in those hard knocks things, that's actually real. It's, yeah. It's a yeah. <laughs> it is a wow. business. Uh, well, Ryan, this has been awesome. I, 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 we got, we got to do this again, man, because this has been, this has been so much fun talking to you. I've been. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell more guys around the country that I know, or like try to network with you on social media. I think it's good for people to learn like how this all works. Like they, they're, they're totally clueless. Yeah. I had it's no, I honestly had no, I had no idea from my end of everything. Like I, I'm a football fan, but. I think I just be learned like the whole ins and outs of everything just by talking to you. Like, learned so much more. Well, I tell people all the time. Like, here's the thing. Like, you look at like everything's like you have to play. You automatically have to play Division One to coach in the NFL. Yeah. And I tell people, really? I said the best coach in the NFL currently didn't play Division One athletics. And they're like, who's that? I said Bill Belichick. He played for Wesleyan. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> in Middletown, Connecticut, a small NASCAC school. Yeah. You know, and he was a you know he wasn't a superstar player. He was a good player, but he wasn't like a like an all American. He was a solid player. Yeah. But what he was was really highly intelligent and was willing to learn. And his dad coached in the NFL and coached in Navy, and you know, and really became a student of the game and learned from and was willing to learn from everybody. Yeah. And really, you know, teaches the game on like a history class. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's the deal with him. But yeah, I mean you can learn from anyone. I mean some of the best coaches learn from other people. Yeah, I always tell coach all the time. Listen, I'll learn from anyone. I, 
I don't care what level you're at. If you've got some niche that, that's really valuable, I want to I hunt you down. I know <laughs> how that works. And yeah. yeah, that's good. That's awesome, though. That's, all, that's the best way you got to do it. It's the best way you become better. You've learned from other people. You just don't develop it by yourself. True. Yeah. Very all good. right, Ryan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Good talk to you. Take care, Derek. Be safe. All right, you too, Coach. Take it easy. All right, bye-bye. And that was my interview with Coach McCormick. Great interview with Coach McCormick. A lot of fun getting to know him and learning more about him and learning a lot about football. So that was, I really enjoyed this episode. Really enjoyed talking with, speaking with him. I hopefully can have him on down the line so we can talk some more college football, maybe do a roundtable with him and a couple other college football coaches that I had on. It'd be really cool to hear their insights about uh, what's going on with college football now and maybe some of the games that are happening or even the NFL. Just would be a lot of fun just to talk to them about that. Um, just great, great, great interview. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Uh, our next episode comes out on Thursday. I had the head coach of Prout Boys High School Basketball, Coach Dean Filsetti. A lot of fun getting to know Coach Filsetti, uh, learning about him so much. We had a great time interviewing with each other. Um, just talking to him about his his college, his high school basketball and coaching and everything like that and uh just 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 a lot of fun overall uh speaking with him but that episode will drop on thursday and i will see you guys thursday have a good rest of your tuesday and wednesday see you guys on thursday